Hello and welcome to So You Think You Can Fanon. Please check the link tree in the description and see all of our beautiful, lovely, salacious links to listen to more. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and mothers and dance and fish and lethal company employees. Welcome to another episode of All Guardsmen Party featuring me. Matt and Sergio Fannin himself and Jacob Jelkington Greg Chudleyson the twelve and a half. Um, can somebody post a fic in the fanfic links channel? I thought that I did. Uh, oh my god, uh, unprofessional. Uh, cringe, cringe, cringe. Don't cringe, fire cringe. this fucking guy. Too late, Sergio. Ended already. Too late. Too late. Too late. Cringe. Cringe. Anyways. Why am I getting... Why is the allguardsmanparty.com giving me a, a malware warning? Because it's not uh, <laughs> using HTTPS. It's so just www. So what the Welcome. fuck is this link you're clicking on Google Welcome Chrome? Welcome to episode number Common Piss um, My Mom. This would be part um, 14. Part 14. We're reading Tyranid Delivery Experts today, I believe, is what I've been told, and we will be for the next several recordings, because this is 24,000 words of Warhammer bullshittery delivered to your eardrums. Also, I, I would like I would like the audience to know, between Tyranid Acquisition Experts, Tyranid Transportation Experts, and Tyranid Delivery Experts, the amount of times I've accidentally misnamed episodes is too many to count. <laughs> yes. Not great. But they're all good reading. They're all fun. It's just sometimes it's a little bullshit. And and this time, finally, after three chapters, we'll deliver that damn Tyranid. <laughs> Wait, didn't it blow up? Do they still have it? I don't remember. Um, it blew up another ship, I think. Okay. I think I don't know. Yeah, we should have probably remembered where we were the last time before we did this. I think they were getting attacked on a ship. They're getting attacked while docked somewhere because the Tyran had woke up. Yeah, the if tower I remember correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, that works out for me. We'll get right into it. I believe we're doing Zencaster order today. Sergio, would you like to begin Zencaster order? Yeah, I'd like to begin with Zencaster order. <clears throat> the occurrence border took its time leaving the system. A whole day of it, in fact. There were three reasons for our lack of speed. Firstly, the tech priest Jim were duped in the sorry. Firstly, the tech priest Jim had duped were seriously hindering any pursuit. Secondly, our bloody escape from the station and the news we'd been the source of the psychic attack had really discouraged a few small, independently owned ships that didn't rely on the Mechanicus to keep running. Finally, the locals' priorities had shifted drastically after a virulent fungal infection and started spreading throughout the station, driving men insane with visions and melting through just about anything. We actually felt a little bad about the whole warp fungus thing, but it wasn't really our fault. It seemed like they'd managed to get a container before the stuff ate more than an eighth of the station. Anyway, Hannah had learned looking at the stuff after the Marines had stumbled into it. It was pretty sure that it would die off, at least lose its hallucinatory properties. 
without frequent exposure to the warp. So it would all probably work out in the end, and the short term boss a little bit more time to prepare for the upcoming weeks of warp travel. The last of our preparations were finished an hour before we were scheduled to re-enter the warp, and at Sarge's insistence, we all wandered down to the Gellerfield adjacent quarters for a pre-post-whatever mission briefing. Tink and Amy were off on one side, enjoying their usual pastime of antagonizing each other. The subject this time was the Tau vids Tink had acquired, specifically the ones that have been based on our exploits on the Buffer Worlds, and were supposedly earning us all sorts of royalties. Amy was loudly explaining that they were stupid, heretical, and concrete proof of Tink's perversion. Tink was holding that all of this was untrue, and that Amy was just jealous that she hadn't been included in the vids on account of being stuck on an island with a crazy Magos at the time. Doc was slumped over the table in the middle of the room. The medic had been on duty for nearly 20 hours before he'd been concussed and half-crushed. When he'd gotten back to the ship, he hadn't been allowed to take a break. He wound up spending another 20 hours hopped up on stims, helping Gravis stowed away, and treating all the armisen who'd been injured during the defense of the ship. Doc was completely out of it, and Nubby had taken the opportunity to draw some comical facial hair on him. The little trooper was augmenting his doodles with a pyramid of furniture balanced on and around Doc. was gleefully egging Tink and Amy on. Twitch had taped up what he had taped up what he claimed was the only accurate map of the occurrence border's tainted sections along one wall. I say claimed because none of us could read the damn thing, and looking at it for any length of time made our heads hurt. Twitch was al- alternately alternately sticking pins in the map and talking with a servo skull with a debt pack strapped to it. Supposedly, the cogitator adept was watching the skull's vid feed and answering Twitch's question via combead, but none of us could really be sure. Finally, Fumbles was sitting in the corner of a, in, sitting in a corner of the room, grimacing at a small Tau drone with a block of white material strapped to it. Fio was sitting on the, on the far side of what was definitely a blast shield, excitedly taking notes. None of us really paid much attention to Sarge when he finally arrived, since Amy was chasing Tink around the furniture pile by that point, but that changed when Sarge dropped the large crate he was carrying with a hollow-sounding boom. Nubby, recognizing the crate, sidled away an appreciable fraction of the speed of light, and Fumbles, who could taste the rage boiling off of Sarge, rather more literally, vanished from sight. Before either of them could make their escape, Sergeant barked an order at Twitch, who pressed a big red button on the wall marked PANIC! As the exit sealed and a few dozen proximity mines activated, the foul-smelling blur that was Nubby changed direction and vanished through the only door left, which led to the bathroom. He locked the door behind him. Sarge ignored the bathroom door and the hard-to-look-at corner where Fumbles was whispering at Theo to shut up about amazing readings and hold still. He turned his attention on the rest of us and with a horrible fixed grin, asked for a status report. Twitch and Amy hesitantly reported that about half of the borders trapped in the tainted areas had been killed, captured, or just outright vanished. Patrols and traps had been set to contain the demonic feeding frenzy that would occur in those areas when we entered the warp. Tink followed this up with a report on the generally good condition of the cells after the overhaul and confirmation that everything was ready for entering the warp. Finally, Doc was poked with a stick until he regained enough consciousness to confirm that Gravis was still alive, and that the looted medical supplies would be enough to keep him that way for a few weeks. 
Sarge digested the three reports for a few seconds and then poked Doc awake again. In an almost gentle voice, he asked the medic if he knew how Gravis's other half was doing, because Sister Valerie said he, she couldn't find the freezer crate with the Space Marine's legs anywhere. Doc's higher brain kicked into overdrive and dredged up an image of a dented and bullet-pocked crate being pulled off of him and tossed aside. He swore or attempted to lep, lep, leap to his feet and was buried as the pile of chairs around him collapsed. Tank exhibiting all the tact and self-preservation instincts, but socially... Um, stupid lemming burst into laughter. Sarge's attention immediately shifted to Tank. He immediately opened the crate he'd carried in, took out the manifest taped to his lid, and skipped down to the section labeled miscellaneous. His false grin completely gone. Sarge asked Tank if he knew where the one data slate, Fecundia pattern, one Astartes graph shoot and grapple harness, two single shot graph flares, and one mark power Mark Seven Power Armor Helmet could be found. Tink's poker face lasted until the helmet was mentioned. He involuntarily glanced towards where Spot was sitting. He looked back to find that Sarge had somehow teleported across the room. It was practically nose to nose with him. Then the shouting started. Of course, despite all the shouting and the part where he dragged Nubby out of the bathroom and held him in the air by one leg, Sarge wasn't really that angry. Even though he'd grown rather stodgy since his promotion, he was still a guardsman and he knew about all about the importance of recycling. The truth was that after how badly our resupply mission had gone, he just needed to shout at someone. And the way we scavenged, disassembled, sold, or just plain lost a Space Marine's worth of war gear and legs was a good, as good as an excuse as any. We put up with Sarge's stress-relieving tantrum, and I thank the Emperor that he hadn't found out about what the power sword had actually been traded for. I mean, Fio claimed that the chunk of Wraithbone was extremely valuable and the key to all sorts of psychic engineering, but he didn't actually have an idea of how it worked or what he was going to do with it. Sarge finding out that we'd lost a space, or lost a power sword because our captive Xenos wanted to commit some science on a spooky rock would have resulted in some real shouting. So once Sarge had started feeling better and had mandated that Sister Valerie was now in charge of Gravis's boulder and what was left of his helmet, he brought the rest of us up to date on what he, the adepts, and the captain had decided. The gist of it was that we hadn't appropriated enough fuel to reach the system where Oak's lab was. So we were going to make another stop, and would offload Gravis, send a message to Oak, and repair whatever damage to the zoanthrope had caused by that point while we were at it. Our response to this news was conflicted at best. We knew we'd be wanting another pit stop by that point, but we really didn't want to go through all that shit again. And since the astropaths were telling everyone that we were Inquisition impersonation heretics, it seemed inevitable. Sarge assured us that he, or at least the smarter people who worked for him, had figured out a solution, though. The theory was that the astropaths' lies would catch the attention of the Inquisition pretty quickly, and they'd send out a team to investigate what had happened on the station. Unless Paths managed to purge all records of our visit, which would probably require killing pretty much everyone in the administratum from the prefect on down, it would be pretty easy for the Inquisition to identify us based on vid records of Sarge and our ship and determine that the Astropaths were full of shit. Then, after a judicious amount of purging, they'd send out a follow-up sector-wide message to clear our names. The nearest Inquisition outpost was five days away from the station, so... Call it a week to hear about the problem and travel to the station. Another week to sort things out and send the all clear in a third week just to be safe. The captain had mapped a route that wouldn't be too far, of course, and would take us to a nice, developed imperial system with an inquisitorial outpost of its own, just in case. In about three weeks, we'd de-warp really far out, so if the zone throw did its head explodey thing again, probably wouldn't kill anyone, and then 
discreetly venture into Comrade to the planet to make sure everything was okay before attempting to dock. It was a nice, sensible plan, and all we had to do was keep the Zonthrope contained and grab us alive for three weeks of warp travel. Everyone except Twitch accepted that it was the best option available, and we all went off to make our last-minute preparations. Two hours later, the Gellerfield kicked into gear, the warp drive tore a bloody hole in the fabric of reality, and what we fervently hoped was our second-to-last warp journey with our stupid psychic bug began. All in all, taking everything into account, relatively speaking, the trip went well. You know, you know by current born standards, especially if you ignore all that ominous stuff with the ghost tyrannids. So no shit. There we were. That isn't actually what this next paragraph starts with, but <laughs> yeah, you get the idea. Yeah, way to fucking cock-tease me. <laughs> Doc, per usual, spent most of the trip in the med bay looking after Sergeant Gravis. The dissected Space Marine's condition wasn't good. The tyrannid bioweapon that had been introduced into a system was unquestionably alive and was constantly attacking what remained of his organs and with a wide variety of poisons. Gravis' space marine biology was fighting back, but was seriously hindered by the gross trauma he'd suffered, not to mention the loss of those organs in his lower torso. The only thing in keeping Gravis alive was his power armor's automated Medicaid system, a large pile of life support machinery, and regular aid from Doc and Sister Valerie. So he didn't have an entire med bay to run. Doc handled Gravis most of the time. Sister Valerie covered for him when he was occasionally elsewhere for more combat-oriented medical duties. After a week of increasing grumpiness on both their parts, her senior subordinate was put in charge of the night shift. Anyway, between Doc's steadily... Increasing experience from treating the torsoified Space Marine and a large amount of medical supplies we'd requisitioned from the waystation elements of Primaris, Gravis was kept stable, if not was kept if not stable, at least only gently teetering on the brink of death. Initially, that is. While well, Doc babysat Gravis, Sarge evaluated his performance during the supply run. He was unreason he was reasonably happy with the way things had gone after everything had fallen apart, but it seemed to him that the real interrogator would have been able to keep things from spiraling out of control in the first place. He eventually came to the uncomfortable conclusion that his current social skills were rather lacking, and since the Emperor or at least his Holy Inquisition had dumped him into a role which required them, he was going to have to fix that. With a credible amount of reluctance, Sarge visited the Diplomacy Adept's quarters, and asked for a few lessons on the arcane art of talking to people without shouting. The Diplomacy Adept found teaching Sarge to be rather difficult, mostly because our fearless leader was so set in his ways. In Sarge's book, Deception and Disguise were accomplished using stuff like helmets on sticks, camo paint, and smoke grenades. Inquiry and intimidation shared a definition and involved little, if any, talking on his part, and the pages that covered blather and charm had been removed to make more space for the chapter that covered command. Regardless of the difficulty involved in reversing a lifetime's worth of sergeanty preconceptions, though, the two of them did make some progress as we traveled. Admittedly, it was a very slow progress and involved an awful lot of yelling, but progress nonetheless. For their part, Tink and his fellow xenoculturalists made some progress of their own during the voyage. The wonder team of Theo, Jim, and Tank were in charge of the zoanthrope containment, which occasional assistance from the xenologist adept and Hannah, if she was hiding from her problem-prone tech acolytes in the cell. They'd refurbished everything in record time before we entered the warp, and afterwards things had gone surprisingly smoothly. Thanks to all the parts Nubby had acquired, the psi, the the psi suppressors. There's too many p's and s's in that word. Um, 
shielding yes. and warp shroud had all been repaired and improved to the point where they were very nearly within the minimum recommended strength for containing a delta level psyker during warp travel and the stasis field was worth working perfectly for a change all that had to be done in the cells was a bit of daily inspection and maintenance which was always carried out quickly because the zoanthrope had acquired an unsettling presence ever since sarge's partially slagged shield had gotten wrapped around its head it's hard to shake the feeling that, despite the stasis field, the eyes under the metal were watching you. Of course, the reduced maintenance requirements of the cells meant the nerds were able to spend time on other things. Other things in this instance translating to helping with important ship maintenance in Jim's case and committing all sorts of tech heresy in Tink and Fio's case. Actually, I mean, you couldn't really call what Fio was doing tech heresy. It was more a case of tech heathenism, him being Xenos and all. He was quite fixated on the piece of wraith bone we'd acquired and spent every scrap of his free time tinkering with it. Some days he'd be wiring it into every device in the cells. Other times he had it mounted on a drone and trailing fumbles through the ship. And occasionally he could be seen wandering around with the big white block strapped to his head like a demented hat. Ting said it was all very scientific. Jim and Hannah refrained from commenting and the rest of us were just glad it kept the mouthy little Xenos bastard at bay. Tink, deprived of the helmet he was cannibalizing to upgrade Spot, and perhaps motivated by a sense of shame at his inappropriate behavior, unlikely, dedicated his time to a more practical project. The damaged Emperor's Scythe Stealth Shuttle. During our Zoanthrope acquiring trip, the ship's tech acolytes had finished defungusing it, but after what it had just been left to sit in a shuttle bay on account of how it was completely non-functional, the fungus had eaten away a lot of armor and stealth materials and had pretty much destroyed the landing gear. But the real problem was that a bunch of spores had gotten into the shuttle's circuitry. Some of the best piloting navigation and stealth control systems a forge world could make had been reduced to hunks of corroded metal and silicone. Jim and Hannah had declared the shuttle unfixable without the aid of a fully stocked manufacturer and access to the shuttle's original blueprints. Tink, however, saw the shuttle as both a challenge and an opportunity, and had snuck a few parts of both Imperial and Xenos Origin, which had nothing to do with Psyker Containment, onto the list that he'd given Nubby. We, when he found out about the project, Sarge briefly considered yelling at Tink for scavenging more of the Emperor's Scythe stuff, but decided it did technically count as repairing the shuttle, and we were already up in our eyes in Xenotech heresy anyway. Said this thing... He said the thing. That was the name of a. He said the chapter. thing. He said the thing. Said the thing. Also, there was a chance we'd get a working stealth shuttle out of it. For their part, Jim and Hannah just ignored all mention of the shuttle and added the its bay to the list of piece places their tech acolytes weren't allowed to go. The rest of us didn't have any input on the subject because we were either busy with Gravis or dealing with the increasing level of warp activity in the occurrence borders tainted areas. The initial volume of anomalies and incursions had been expected. The things that usually discorporated after finding the tainted sections devoid of anything living had swarmed the trap borders and grown strong. Several varieties of warp beasts, minor daemons, reanimated corpses, and what Nubby would tell anyone who would listen was a bloodthirster, despite its lack of height, axe, or wings, had tried to claw their way into a more habitable sections of the ship during the few days of transit. Thanks to the fact that we'd known the general location of the borders, the unholy horrors had come through to find numerous traps, swarms of debt pack armed suicide skulls, the hardened priests and armed men that made up the ship's watch, and a few well-armed guards were waiting for them. Even with prepared positions and numerical superiority, though, tackling warp creatures can be tricky. 
over the three days it took the last of the borders to expire, the daemons and the anomalies that manifest around them took a small but significant toll on the defenders. Some men were torn apart, others went insane. A unlucky few ran afoul of the occurrence border's chronic mechanical problems, and one or two forgot to check what was on the other side of a door before stepping through it. Of course, none of us were on the casualty list. Prior experience with this sort of thing, not to mention better quality weapons and a rather pragmatic approach to questions like, do you think that thing with the tentacles is still in there? Meant that we made it through without any significant injury. Insignificant injuries and close calls are a different matter, mind you. Something in the third wave of demons threw Fumble's power out of whack and caused a few burns and bruises to everyone present. And there was a hairy moment when Twitch barely stopped Amy from stepping through a door that inexplicably opened into one of his minefields. After that, after that one of Nubby's augmented feet had to be plasma cut off and replaced on account of how he tried to kick a Nurgling in the Nadgers. Nadgers. British moment. Oh, and the one time Doc came down to help with the casualties, a priest he was treating tried to eat his face and had to be exercised. See, clubbed into unconsciousness by using his own book of holy verse. Anyways, things calmed down after the third day. And once the various bits and pieces had been incinerated, jettisoned, or tossed back into the tainted section, the bulkheads were resealed, and everyone got back to their usual routine. Unfortunately, things didn't stay calmed down over the next few weeks. Over the next few days, reports started filtering in of creatures haunting the corridors near the tainted areas. This wasn't usual in and of itself, since every time the navigator hit a bump in the warp, stuff would leak through all over the ship and there had just been a demonic incursion in the area to boot, but the witness reports were worrying. They matched the ones we'd received during our previous week of warp travel. Last time, Amy, Twitch, Nubby, and Fumbles had tracked the problem down to an infestation of what had appeared to be Tyranids. It turned out that they weren't proper nids, though, since shortly after they'd been killed, Bugs' remains had started reforming in a uh, distinctly warpy fashion, and then they just sort of vanished when we finally de-warped. We'd decided that the whole thing had just been some sort of warp phenomena caused by the psychic containment and the cells failing and the zone thread sort of passively screwing with reality. This explanation was ruined by the fact that despite the cells being all fixed up, the warpy nids had come back. Or maybe they hadn't. It was all kind of a bit of a mess. The problem was that this time, the tyranid-shaped creatures that Nubby drew out with his damsel-in-distress routine were different. They had an appearance and behavior that could best be described as ghost-like. Uh, not ghost-like as in sneaky, but ghost-like as in like a ghost. Literally. Now, the curtain's board was practically fucking littered with warp ghosts, but, but these were human ones for the most part. They just wandered around, reenacting their lives and deaths, usually, with the occasional bout of unsettling whispering or horrifying screaming and howling through it. Um, they were harmless, by and large, and even provided decent entertainment on slow days, but that could change if someone or something managed to get their attention and drag them into sync with what passed for reality. Anyways, the Tyranids we found literally haunting the fringes of the tainted areas displayed all of the signs of being warp ghosts, except, you know, being Tyranid warp ghosts. They sort of milled around in the shadows, drifting through walls, making clicking noises to each other, gnawing of stuff that wasn't there, until we got too close or had fumbles poke them. Then every ghost nid in the area would swarm in around the agitated one, become an awful lot more solid until a, a few bolts of plasma blew them into black and green smoke. I feel like I actually recognize uh, this piece of artwork for this next paragraph. It looks like, uh, well, I was going to say that it looks like uh, 
the art of Sonny Clockwork that does SCP art, but is actually art from a guy named John Krzywicki, a Polish artist. And it looks like this art is actually oh. from a fanon wiki um, called the Beyond the Universe wiki, and this is supposed to be a depiction of like an eldritch god. Pretty cool art, Ooh. though. Awesome. All right, so at first, the ghost tyranids were just puzzling. Based on the little we knew about the warp and what information our xenology could adept could provide. It shouldn't have been possible. Your average nid doesn't have a mind, much less a soul, and those are pretty much requirements for being a ghost. Otherwise, the warp would be littered with ghost bricks, trees, rocks, or whatever. Everyone agreed that something odd was going on, but no one could figure out exactly what it was. At first, we just blamed the zoanthrope, but Jim and Fio checked and couldn't detect any psychic energy leaking out of the cells, and fumbles backed them up. Other theories were raised, just the ghost nids being a psychic projection built upon the crew's collective unconscious fear of tyranids, or them being the result of the hive mind reaching across the warp to smite us, or everything being caused by the ancient heathen insectoid idol stored in Cargo Bay E71-3, which had driven us all who looked upon it insane. These were all shot down for various reasons, such as the fact that, according to Old Bill, the idol's various limbs had been holding up plasma conduits for 13 years now without any significant problems. Twitch, of course, held fast to the theory that the tyranids above the hive ship had which had been sucked into the warp by the site's vortex bomb, had made an alliance with the daemons of chaos, and an unstoppable tide of daemonids would repage across the galaxy. No one but Amy bothered to argue with him, and in the end, the rest of us decided that the ghost tyranids were probably still somehow the Zoanthrope's fault, despite all evidence to the contrary. To return to that point, though, the ghost nids were puzzling at first, but this wasn't because something happened which explained everything. It's because they became too, they quickly became far too serious a problem to waste time actually thinking about it. The number of ghost tyranid sightings quickly rose, as did the number of attacks. We tried to nip the prob- problem in the bud, of course. A busy two days had been spent antagonizing ethereal hornigons to solidify, and then shooting them. Unfortunately, they didn't stay dead, even when we got the confessor himself to come down and wave his sensor around And after we shot them. It'd take a few hours, but eventually a bug that Fumbles claimed was the same one would drift back into the spot where we killed it and resume its seemingly random wandering. An expedition into the tainted areas to see where they were coming from was proposed, but after some careful thought, we decided that we didn't actually want to die horribly in a twisted nightmare of non-Euclidean geometry and bug-shaped warp monstrosities. We might have really considered it if the ghost tyranids had had seemed interested in launching attacks on the rest of the ship, but as far as we could tell, they were just content of just to just sort of hang out. Over time, the steadily increasing number of ghost bugs would result in them wandering deeper into the ship, but otherwise they stayed put unless someone got near them. Lacking any viable solution or the motivation to take a real risk and to find one, the captain agreed in our decision to just set up a kill zone around the tainted areas and contain the apathetic ghost tyranid menace. The containment strategy wasn't sustainable in the long run since the number of bugs was exorably increasing and they were able to expand in three dimensions, as well as through walls, too. But we were pretty sure that if we gave them a, if we gave a little ground when the numbers got too high, it would work long enough for us to reach our next resupply point. Also, if things got really bad, we could always de-warp and sort things out at the expense of a few days of travel time. So there wasn't any immediate crisis. We settled into a slightly more stressful, stressful than usual routine and got on with our lives. That was hard for me to say. Amy assumed command of the entire lower por- aft portion of the defense. She didn't actually ask for permission or anything, mind you. She just sort of walked down there and started bossing everyone around. 
The only reason that the captain and his master at arms didn't kick up a huge fuss about this blatant disrespect was that Amy was actually uh, very good at this sort of thing, having been born and raised for infantry command before her career changed to inquisitorial gooning. That's a bad phrase from this friend group. <laughs> the rest of us noticed that despite how much she complained about the poor quality of her troops compared to her old regiment, Amy seemed far happier than she'd been since her disastrous mission with the half-mad Magos. Well, if not happier, at least less prone to spontaneous violence. Since Twitch, not to put too fine a point on it, wasn't really sane enough to command a squad, much less an entire flank of the defense, his assistance to the containment effort was a bit more ad hoc. He scampered around, throwing up defenses and setting up traps without any discernible rhyme or reason, and everyone else just had to adjust their deployments to fit his. It was all surprisingly effective, though it retrospect uh, really shouldn't have been. He'd spent more time patrolling the borders of tainted areas than anyone except old Bill and his senior engineers, and knew which spots were defensible and which weren't simply by heart. Initially, Nubby just sort of mooched around the various fronts, assisting with the supply efforts, says. But since his partner in petty crime was the only psyker around who wasn't busy steering the fucking ship, this profitable arrangement did not last. We quickly discovered that Fumble's ability to sense the ghost nids from quite far away and through walls was completely and utterly invaluable, especially since he could share what he sensed with anyone nearby. He was constantly in demand as a spotter, and Nubby was dragged along to act as backup and moral support. As has been mentioned, the rest of us had other things to do, and the ghost knit situation really didn't change that. I mean, if you stop work every time an army of warp spawned insectoid spirits lays siege to your ship, you'll never get anything done. So we all just sort of muddled along, trying to hold everyone together. As the trip continued, and things got progressively worse. In the case of Doc's treatment of Sergeant Gravis, got progressively worse is a perfect summary. The Space Marines' condition steadily went downhill, and not in the ways Doc or Valerie had been prepared for. There were seemingly random seizures, spikes in neural activity that indicated horrible nightmares, inexplicable changes in the behavior of the biotoxin, and even a few spontaneous mechanical failures in the life support machinery. It got to the point where Gravis watched where Gravis watching was a 24-hour no-distractions duty, but because of the second but the second he was left alone, something would invariably go wrong. Doc, not being bored yesterday, blamed all these problems on the warp in general and the zoanthrope in particular, but he couldn't figure out the, how, the why or how, and he had no idea what to do about it. Lacking any proactive treatment ideas aside from exiting the warp or killing the zoanthrope, Doc just dedicated increasingly large portions of his time to Gravis watching and developed a rather disturbing tendency to talk to the comatose space marine. Tasteless jokes about Valor getting jealous aside, we began to worry about him, but we were getting near the end of the trip by the time things really got worrying, and he seemed to recover a bit after his theory about the zoanthrope being the cause was confirmed. Actually, it wasn't just Doc's theory that was proven. Our suspicions about there being a link between the ghost ends and the zoanthrope were confirmed too. What happened was that, three days out from our destination, nearly a quarter of the psi suppressors in the cells failed at once. This didn't come as a surprise, mind you. Even in stasis, the zoanthrope's mere psychic presence, not to mention the warp itself, wore down the machinery and shielding that, restrict that restrained it. Ting Fio and Jim had been dedicating more and more of their time to inspections and maintenance. But there was only so much that they could do, given the general clutched-together nature of the cells. So they'd been sort of ready for something like this to happen, and had made sure that someone was always on duty. When the failure happened, Jim had been right there to start fixing things, and both Theo and Tank had arrived within minutes to help. Sarge showed up too, but he didn't actually help in any meaningful way. He just really wanted an excuse to ditch the horrible self-inflicted purgatory of his diplomacy or lessons. Anyways, during the 15 minutes or so of reduced size suppression on the zoanthrope, the following happened. 
The spawn rate of ghost ints drastically increased. A few higher forms started appearing. The entire swarm began acting far more in touch with reality and became significantly harder to kill. All sorts of warp phenomena occurred throughout the ship. The temperature on the main atmosphere regulator got stuck at 7 degrees. This was probably unrelated, but by then we were blaming everything on the damn bug. Fumbles suffered some sort of combination hallucinatory and convulsive episode and wound up clawing his face and breaking his goggles. The navigator sent us a very angry note about the importance of not distracting him while steering. Sergeant Gravis caught fire. Again. So... Yeah, it was a pretty unpleasant experience, especially since it was actually a minor failure compared to some of the stuff that had broken during our last trip, and therefore raised all sorts of questions about the zone of powers. Not that we had much time for pondering, though, because the following three days were absolutely fucking exhausting. Most of the problems caused by the failure were dealt with immediately. The suppressors were repaired without the zone of breaking out of stasis and trying to kill everyone. Doc actually had a fire extinguisher ready, but grab, uh, put Gravis out before the Eldritch Flames did any real damage and handled everything else that went spontaneously wrong during the brief loss of suppression. Nubby managed to restrain Fumble before he clawed out his own eyeballs, got up the Psyker to safety, and was even able to scrounge up another pair of extra large welding goggles, which, which may or not have had Bill's Do Not Steal written on them. Lastly, thanks to a general retreat order by Amy and the captain, plus Twitch's suspiciously well-placed fallback points, relatively few men died to the temporarily empowered ghost nids. Unfortunately, even the ghost nids lost focus and weakened again after the size suppressors were back online. The increase in their numbers was permanent, though. Containment became significantly more difficult, especially since, in some places, the defense had been pushed back to rooms that Old Bill said were important to the running of the ship. It wasn't a good situation, but then again, it could have been worse. Both ammo and food were plentiful. It wasn't snowing or raining, aside from the occasional drizzle of supernatural blood, and there weren't any commissars. On the official Imperial Guard scale of horrible meat granted defenses, it was only about a three. Of course, anything that even shows up on that scale is not something you want to deal with while you're traveling through the warp. The question of whether or not to just de-warp in the middle of space and try to sort out everything was raised again. But since we were so close to our destination, Sarge and the captain decided we could tough it out. The rest of us reluctantly agreed and put everything we could into holding out for three more days. Reinforcements were mustered from the crew. Those wounded who could still fight were put back on the line, including a rather shaken fumbles, and our fearless leader Oso regretfully abandoned the last of his diplomacy classes to personally take out the nastiest piece of the line. Finally, Tink and Fio were told that regardless of how creepy being around the Zoanthrope was and how important they felt their pet projects were, they now lived in the cells, and how horrible things would happen to their vids if another mechanical failure occurred. It was a hectic, terrifying, and heroism-filled three days, which really reminded us all of our time in the guard, though with less indiscriminate shelling and a rather inferior brand of trench mates. Not that the arms end of the occurrence border weren't good fighters, they just weren't guardsmen. Anyway, complain about the troop quality side we managed to hold out without any more complete disasters. There were a few tense moments, such as when Tink got as far as reporting that a cascading suspression failure was imminent before he figured out how to use his plasma gun as a backup battery. We would have Congratulated him on his ingenuity, but it took him about a half an hour to remember to tell us that things had been stabilized and we weren't about to die. Another bad spot was when Sarge finally abandoned the forward power management, waste purification, and toothpaste distribution room. Water Only purification. To- Water purification. And toothpaste distribution room. Only to have something break it in five minutes after he left. It took a three-hour counteroffensive, spearheaded by all of us except Amy, to get old Bill up there to fix the thingy that had been gotten stuck in the what's-it. At the end... Of- at the end, though, we made it. 
a few hours before our original scheduled de-warp time, but not a second too soon, we arrived at that bastion of imperial civilization widely known as that system with two planets and an inquisition base that's pretty much on the way. No, no, not that one, the one with the blue star. As the occurrence border left the warp, the massive swarm of ghostly tyrannids just faded away. It was actually sort of awkward for those of us on the line. Uh, and sheer, sheer paranoia kept everyone at their post for nearly an hour before victory was declared, and we all went off to get some sleep. The only people left awake were those who had been augmented past the need for the pathetic meatbag concept of sleep and the poor bastards in charge. Sarge hiked his way up to the bridge to verify that we were in the correct system and that no stellar disasters, xeno invasions, or heretical uprisings were occurring in it, to send a message to the Inquisition base. Unfortunately, that last part proved unexpectedly difficult. Due to our recent problem with the head-exploding waves of psychic energy, we came out of the warp way out on the edge of the system. Of course, the universe despises all rational planning, so the Zoanthrope stayed completely quiet during the transition, and all of our careful precaution accomplished nothing aside from leaving us several days of normal space travel away from our destination. In fact, we were so far out of our sensors, or so far out that our sensors could barely even pick up the tar- the largest ships and stations around the planets. It'd be days before we got into Vox range. This annoyed Sarge, who wanted to get started in the whole process of proving our identity, requesting aid so that he could stop worrying. The captain sympathized with him, and rather sarcastically asked Sarge if he wanted to try to make a micro-warp to get closer to the planets. Sarge told him to go fornicate with a waterfowl, and then wandered off to try and nap away his paranoia. The rest of us weren't too concerned about the travel time, since moving through normal space was down and relaxing by our standards. If left to our own devices, we probably would have spent the entire time asleep, drunk, or watching heretical cartoons, but Sarge didn't approve of idle troops. After a mere 16 hours of sleep, he dumped every one of us out of our nice, warm bunks, gathered the entire team, plus old Bill and Jim together, and began giving orders. The impromptu briefing started with Sarge informing us that the captain had spotted three ships of indeterminate size heading our way, and per tradition, Twitch interrupted the telephone that he had a bad feeling about this! After a few minutes had been wasted on half-comedic speculation, Sarge shared the captain's assurance that this was a perfectly normal response to how far out we had warped in. He claimed that it was, in fact, a good thing, since they'd be able to help us by passing our Vox messages on to the Inquisition base earlier than we'd expected to. It'd still be over a day before we were in range, though, and in the meantime... There were things to do. Tink and Theo were told that their pet projects were still on hold until they made sure every system in the cells was working fine and compiled yet another parts list. Doc, who was annoying chip, annoyingly chipper after his first real break from Gravis watching in over a week, was told to ditch the Marine on his girlfriend and get his gear ready. The adepts were told to whatever to do whatever adepty things needed doing before we talked over to, ran over to who ran the local Inquisition base, except for the cogitator adept, who was ordered to use his data thingies and compu-whatsits to figure out where the ghost nids had been coming from. He responded with a lot of useless technical babble and complaints about not being a demonologist, damn it. But after Sarge glared at him for a while, he went off to his closet and he got to work. Everyone else was ordered to get ready for a short expedition. All right. I think that's a good place for us to take a break there. This is uh, yeah, an interesting route that the story has been going so far. I like ghost nids. That's a really stupid idea, but I love it. Yeah, I do really like the idea mm. of ghost nids. It's a very, very warpy forehammer, 40k warhammer thing. I was about to say four, four hammer. Four. You did say four hammer. 
Well, I was about to say it. I didn't finish it. And really uh, I'm going to do something. I did something smart that we never really d- did before, but I went in fanfic links and dropped the image that we will start at next time. Other tomorrow's recording of Kai's thing. Are you ready a fucking genius? Holy shit. Dude, th- you see, this is what a master's degree in microbiology gets you. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah, actually like making that. a note of where we left yeah, off rather than having like... to like consult <laughs> the prior recording or just be like, man, I, I'm i pretty sure it was after that three after the George Bush image. Three after the George Bush <laughs> well, image will always no, work Normally that ability to remember to put down where we left off is like a new game plus three skill you get. Yes. Sergio got mm-hmm. it. Sergio got it instantly. He did it. It's unbelievable. Well, anyways. Goodbye. We love you. I don't. Oh.